Hello, thank you for tuning in. You are listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. For network or show information, visit byteradio.me or call 843-808-0777. And now, the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Good day, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Today, my special guest joining us from Hawaii is Emily Thoreau-Threat, and we will be talking about her journey as well as her new book, Loving and Living Through Grief. Loving and Living Through Grief is a handbook on how to deal with grief, allowing one to choose the chapter with the loss one is experiencing at the moment. It's perfect for finding coping mechanisms uh, one needs to restart uh, to, to start reliving again. Emily has experience with loss, which makes her well-equipped and gives her insight in helping others through their recovery process by finding strategies best suited for the individual. Through a collection of loss stories and 26 coping mechanisms, Loving and Living Through Grief will give readers the tools that they need to start reliving through their grief. It's about learning to love and relive again. Emily is a grief transformation expert and holds a master's degree in English with a concentration in writing. She's been teaching and writing composition on the college and university level for more than 30 years. During that time, she has published three writing textbooks, with Prentice Hall and Pearson Education. For more information about Emily and the book, you can visit the website Loving and Living Your Way Through Grief. That's very easy. So with that, I say uh, aloha, um, Emily. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here. You know, this is uh, grief is one of those topics that. Um, people, you know, sometimes just uh, either don't want to talk about or, you know, it's just one of those topics that sometimes just goes unspoken. So, um, you know, I'm glad that we're going to be able to chat today about that. So um, let's start with, um, you know, I I read in the beginning of of your book that um, your personal journey began um, about, you know, the idea of, you know, what your personal journey was. It was uh, around the age of 14. So can you tell us a little bit about your experience at that time? Okay. Uh, you know, we we all experience grief, and some people pay more attention to it than others. And I've discovered that paying attention to it can help me deal with it. And when by the time I was 13, I had all my grandparents had died, and so those were my earliest experiences with death. But they just it kind of seemed like the natural order of things, and I was kind of shielded from everything around that. But when I was 13, my dad traded our home for an ambulance company of all things, and my mom and dad and I ran it together. Uh, we had to move into a little house that was on the property where all the ambulances were and uh, had the emergency phone right by the bed because we didn't have anybody to dispatch ambulances at that time, except for us. And 
in those days, uh, I'll show you how long ago it was, you only had to have an advanced first aid certificate and be 14 years old to go on ambulance calls. And wow. my dad was the the uh, Red Cross first aid teacher in town at the time, so he <laughs> made sure that I had my first aid certificate by the time I was 14. And on my wow. very first day uh, that, that I was able to go on ambulance calls, the first call that I went on was uh, out in the country. The ambulance company's in a, a, a small town in a rural area in California. And out in the country, uh, there was a terrible head-on collision that had two uh, cars that were both full of people. And so we took two ambulances out at the time, and I went out as kind of the third person since it was my very first call, and I didn't have any experience yet. And one of the, the victims was an infant, and so they... they I had the infant in my arms, and there wasn't much mm-hmm. that I could do for this this baby. And so they, they put me in the little jump seat behind the, the back seat because the rest of the ambulance was full. They actually, in the olden days, they could put two people on the floor of the ambulance, and they could t- hang two people on flats up from the, the top of the, the ambulance. So we had four people stuffed in there. In addition to the driver, the attendant, and me with the baby um, sitting on a little uh-huh. jump seat. And uh, we rushed red light and siren to the hospital, uh, which didn't have an emergency room because there that wasn't that big of a thing back in those days. So we uh, kept banging on the back door until somebody finally heard us. We did, also didn't have radio contact in those days. And somebody finally came out and saw what was going on and started calling doctors in town to see if there was anybody who could come to the hospital and take care of these people. Because that's how they did things. They didn't have a doctor on staff. Well, it took so long from the accident till we actually got into the hospital that by the time they got to the infant, the infant was obviously uh, had transitioned and mm-hmm. so that at some point that baby had died in my arms on my very first call. And wow. it was it was tough. <laughs> it was really tough. I thought, I don't know if I want to do this or not. But at the same time, it was the only way that mom and dad and I had to um, support ourselves. And so I got right. to keep on working. And seeing seeing death in so many different forms, uh, seeing people die, uh, being taking care of somebody as they're dying was uh, it can caused me at a young age to really consider life and death and what it was all about. And for me, it it really made me. Uh, want to pay attention to living because I, I had no idea when mm. I'd be one of those people that didn't wake up. So that that was how I, I got my, my start in, in uh, dealing with death, <clears throat> excuse me, on so many different levels. And um, it led on, I eventually became a nurse and worked as a nurse and dealt a lot more with with death, with that sort of thing going on. So that's that's how I got started. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I mean, it, it seems definitely seems like um, you're being prepared 
you know, for exactly, you know, kind of what you are doing right now. So um, mm-hmm. why, why, why write this book now? What, 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 you know, inspired you to do it at this particular point in time? At this point. Okay. Yeah. Well, I have had the good fortune of having been married to two absolutely wonderful men. And uh, Jacques died in 2006, and Ron died in 2017. Um, ironically, they both had the same medical conditions that they ended up dying from. When, when I met Ron, he didn't have the conditions, and I had no idea that that would be what was coming for him. But the same thing happened with both of them, with both of them. I spent uh, the last two years of their lives with them exclusively. I, when uh, Jacques died, I had a business that I owned, and I actually was able to uh, take care of donating that to a nonprofit organization so I could be with him 24-7 because he needed somebody with him. And then uh, when Ron died, I was totally retired, and we actually uh, moved to Maui two years before he died because he'd lived here a long time ago and always wanted to return. And when he realized that he didn't have that much longer, he said, you know, that's where I really want to spend my last days. And so we just sold everything and moved to Maui. And so I had the opportunity to be on their path with them very, very closely for the last two years of their lives. And With all the death and grief that I'd experienced, that my parents had died, all my aunts and uncles had died, and people around me had died from from everything, from traffic accidents to murder through throughout my life. But when it was so intensely close with uh, first shock, I I just had a really tough time dealing with it, uh, and I mostly dealt with it by sitting by myself. Um, I had a friend, Yvonne, who stayed with me for a while. I don't know what I would have done without her, but she eventually had to go home. And I just wasn't sure how to to move forward at that point. And finally, I figured out some ways I can tell you about that to move forward then. But then when I was married to Ron, we had a a totally different kind of relationship. Both of the relationships were wonderful, but they they were focused on different things. And Mm -hmm. with Ron, he was a religious science minister, and so he had a very different philosophy from Jacques, who was actually a philosopher. (laughs) He taught ethics at at the the college and the university. So he... It looked with both of them looked at living and dying through totally different lenses. <laughs> so with Ron, yeah, we we uh, really focused on living in the moment, and that was all that life was for that those last two years of his life. It's whatever was going on in the moment was what we were paying attention to, and it was really quite wonderful. And he had a, a totally different death experience that was also totally wonderful. And then he was gone, and the grief hit again just as hard as it did. When uh, Jacques died, it was really, really hard. But when I started coming out from the fog, which didn't take me nearly as long the second time, I thought, okay, now 
I've given up everything to move to Maui. I hardly knew anybody except for the people that lived right around us who became our ohana, which is the Hawaiian word for family. And they're wonderful people. But I didn't, I hadn't really been out on the island that much. Uh, didn't really know the island. Didn't uh, really know or where or how to, to go, you know, to do. And mm-hmm. I had been, um, I taught, as you said before, taught writing uh, for many years. And fortunately, after I retired, the university has continued to hire me back to teach online. Uh, I taught online when I was, uh, before I retired for for many years. I was a a pioneer in that field, actually. And so I I was teaching part-time, so I did have something to do, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I thought, I need to figure out what I'm supposed to do now. I need to figure out what my life's purpose is. And I really had no idea where I was going at that point. And I, I journaled a lot about it. I, I meditated on it. I, I wrote, I explored all kinds of different things by writing about it. And uh, it was helping me deal with my grief, but I wasn't it wasn't just falling into my lap right away what what my purpose was supposed to be. And then uh, a few months after Ron died, a very good friend of his who was much younger, younger enough that he called Ron dad, uh, just dropped dead. And Mm. it was such a shock. And his, his, he and his wife and, and two daughters lived just a couple blocks away from us on the mainland when we were there. And I thought, Oh, his, his wife, her name's Lori. I said, Lori is, I, I can't imagine uh, how she feels at this moment, but I know there's a lot of things that she's never thought about before because I'm sure at this age that she wasn't thinking about her husband dying and, and what she needed to do at that point. So I sat down and wrote a letter to her immediately that uh, of everything that I could think of, of what she needed to pay attention to and do right then and what she needed to not pay attention to right then and and how to deal with these things. And then I I got it to her right away. I actually, since I'm um, in Hawaii and they were in California, I thought I, I'm not going to send her an email because chances are she's not going to be looking at her computer for a while. I'm not going to put right. something in the mail because from Hawaii, who knows how long it's going to get there because we have no <laughs> mail challenges. So I emailed it to a mutual friend of ours that just lived a couple blocks away from her, and I said, could you please print this off and take it to her right now? And so she actually was able to get the letter within hours after Chap died. Wow. And that, uh, it it made me feel really good good. to write it. It it, it took a, a couple of weeks, and she called me, and our I can't remember if it was a call or an email, but whatever it was, what she said to me is that letter meant the world to her because nobody else said things like that to her. Nobody else seemed to know what to say. They'd all go, oh, you poor thing, or I'm sorry for your loss, or that sort of thing. But they weren't constructively doing anything to help her at that point. And the experiences that I mentioned in the letter uh, could have – it were things that actually did happen with her. And she was just really, really grateful for that. So after that, I thought, oh, I've got to do something more for her because that that was fine for for the moment. 
that here she is now, you know, once, once all the celebrating's over, once, and they had, Chappie had the biggest funeral I have ever heard of. <laughs> it was mm-hmm. absolutely amazing. And including, uh, well, they, they were Catholic and they went to uh, the Catholic church uh, at the Catholic high school uh, and where we lived. And so the service was inside, and when they came out, they went out onto the football field where there was a big tent erected, and they had a, a, like an all-day-long party, including the USC marching band. Because oh, wow. uh, mm-hmm. Gappy was a, 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 an alum from USC and was uh, very involved in, in the Alumni Association and everything that goes on at USC. And so they actually got the band to come and march in their uniforms and play for him at his service. So I knew that she was as big as this thing was, that she was going to crash after that was over. Because mm-hmm. between when he died and when they had the service, there's people around, you know, and they're, they're, right. they're helping, they're doing things. But then, then it was, everything was all gone. And I thought at that point, I've got to do something else. And I had had a friend who had um, breast cancer a couple of years before, and the whole time she was going through uh, all of her therapies uh, with radiation and everything, I wrote her something. Uh, it was just about every day because it was it was just drastic every day for her. And it was like a three-month period. I, I would either send her an email, send her a text, write her a card, call her on the phone, do something all the time to, to support her. And I thought, I need to support Lori, but I want to do it like the whole first year after Chappie died because that's, that's when people tend to get forgotten and people don't right. know what to say or do with somebody who's lost someone. And so they tend to, to stay away and it, it gets to be a real lonely time. So I thought, well, I'm going to write her a card and put it in the mail every week uh, mm. for that whole first year. And I thought, wow, can I really think of something different to say for, for all that time? So I thought I'll I'll just try and write some things down and and over about a day and a half I wrote 52 different uh messages that I could wow. put in these cards <laughs> and then mm-hmm. I thought I I take pictures all the time on Maui because it's so gorgeous so I thought I'll just put a different picture on the front of the card every week and then put my message on the inside and write a little personal note with it every week and send it to send a card to her every week for a year and I had told my um, my step granddaughter about this and she called me and said that her her dad my stepson's best friend had just dropped dead and my stepson was about Chaffee's age and they had the two families had grown up together with all the kids and the parents did did lots of things together and she said "I, I want I'd like to send cards like you did to his wife. And I said, well, I can, I, with Lori's, I printed them off my computer. I said, I could do that for her. And she was very grateful. So I did. And it's, it takes a long time to print and cut and fold and everything to, to prepare the cards. So I was listening to podcasts actually on the computer as I was doing that. And I ran across this one 
that I just really connected with the the woman who was being interviewed. She she was just really special, and she was talking about her book, and I thought, well, I'm going to order her book. So I went online, and her website was fabulous, and I got to the bottom of it, and she said, by the way, I'm also a book agent, so if you have an idea for a book, let me know. And when I read that, Mm. right at that moment, I said, I already have an outline with 52 things (laughs) in it. And so I I just wrote her uh, an email right then and pitched the idea to her. She got back to me immediately, was thrilled with it, became my agent and has worked with me ever since. And the book actually came out in January. Wow. That's that's, that's wonderful. Um, One of of the things that um, I kind of want to spend a little bit of time on is, you know, in in what you were talking about, one of the hardest things um, for people to um, to try to figure out what to do or what to say. Now, um, I know that mm-hmm. sometimes, like the common phrases, "I'm sorry for your loss," don't necessarily, you know, kind of cut it. I mean, it's kind of like you know, our thoughts and prayers. You know, and it's like, I mean, nothing against those, yeah. but it's just, you know, um, it's just the idea that it's um, it's uh, it's almost robotic, almost automatic. You know what I mean? It doesn't have. Um, so, uh, you know, as someone who is, you know, kind of straddled that what to do, what to say, what would you, how would, what would you tell people who are kind of in that quandary, you know, as to um, what do I say or do I even say? you know, that type of thing. Well, I'm so sorry. Um, The thing about that is if you speak from your heart instead of allowing Mm -hmm. yourself to do a knee-jerk reaction, um, then that's that's always going to work when you when you speak from your heart. Um, nothing really wrong with I'm sorry for your loss, but right. I know when when I have somebody say I'm sorry for your loss, it's like they're saying have a nice day. You know, they don't care about mm-hmm. what kind of mm-hmm. day I have. It's something that people say exactly. by rote. Yeah. And, and you don't really yeah. want it to come, you know, so a lot of times you really don't want to come across as that. It's like, you know, I really don't, I mean, I really am. So is it kind of like, um, you know, just um, the um, emoting the, the sense that you truly are sorry? You know, does, does, I would think, does that make a difference? Kind of add to the, you know, the, like you say, I guess speaking, if it's coming from the heart, then it's fine. Yeah, if it's coming from the heart. And what and what happens is people, especially if they haven't been intimately involved with the death of a loved one, they mm-hmm. really can't relate because people tend to not deal with death. They don't talk about death. They don't um, have anything to do with death. And they're, actually there's fear involved. They're, they're afraid of death. And so they they don't they don't want to be the widow they don't want to be the mom left without a child they they don't want to do that and they, I think somewhere back in their brain they're thinking well if I don't talk about it I, or you know I don't see it it doesn't exist so uh, yeah. they really avoid what's going on there so when 
you you do see somebody, it, it's okay to say, I'm sorry for loss if you really want to, but I got to the point that if one more person said it to me, I was going to just say, no, you're not. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, exactly. Just because it, to me it was coming across yeah. as insincere. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I didn't yeah. want to do that, but at the same time it was, uh, that was what was coming out. So right, right. what what I yeah, uh, and so when you lead with love, and and my whole thing, my whole basis of life now that has to do with my life purpose, and I I didn't complete that thought, so let me say that real quick. Uh, is oh, I'm sorry, the trash uh, collector is right here. I hear this big noise outside. That I I discovered that what my life purpose is is to help other people deal with grief and to do that in a positive way, so that it's not all sorrow and scary and and deep sadness to the point that you can't deal with life anymore. So, um, saying that, when when you see somebody who is grieving, and you want to say something. If you focus on positivity and focus on love, and that's what I goes with my life purpose is I'm yeah. helping people deal with grief, but doing that in a positive way and doing it with love, then you can't go wrong. So yeah. if if you say something, one one thing that people always love to hear in a situation like that is for you to say the name of the person who died. And then to say a, a sweet memory you have about that person. Um, yeah. For instance, Doc, uh, in, in addition to being a college professor, was uh, an actor and singer. He he loved to do that, and he had an incredibly beautiful singing voice. So when people would say, "Oh, I just remember Jacques' beautiful voice. I could listen to him for hours." Or if they'd say, "Oh, I remember when when he played that part at, in uh, the that show with the melodrama that was so funny and we laughed so hard and he was just such a great actor." Uh, or the he the class that he taught the nurses in in town that went to that university it was um, called. Uh, oh no, I'm, I'm saying my book title instead of the name of his class. Um, but it had to do with the ethics of living and dying and with focusing mm-hmm. on, on all things related to death. And so the at the college where he taught, they had a nursing program, and that nursing program required that particular class for every nurse. So whenever he'd be in the hospital, if somebody would go in and go, oh, hi, the nurses would come in and go, oh, hi, Professor Thoreau. And he goes, what grade did I give you? <laughs> Just to be sure. That, yeah. 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 I, I'd run into his former students uh, around town, and they, they knew who I was, and they'd come up to me and go, you know, he was the best teacher I ever had, or he helped mm. me so much to deal with my mom's death. Uh, so these these positive good things, and with with Ron, people were always saying he was such an influence on my life that he helped me start my business. He helped. Uh, he counseled me when I really needed it. 
and all those things are all so positive and and they they mean so much more because it's not just something everybody says about people in general it's something specific to your loved one and saying you know and and one of the things um with my mom and dad, I mentioned that they, they both um, died quite a few years ago now, but they always held hands. And mm. to have somebody tell me that what they loved about mom and dad was they could tell they were in love for over and married for over 50 years because they were always holding hands. And mm. remembering something like that is so precious. Yeah. And that it enables the person who's grieving to feel positive and to be able to smile about something and, and to get that kind of warm feeling inside. And it, it, it puts the focus on the person you're speaking to instead of on the loss, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, yeah, I do. You know, and it's, I mean, that's the really, I can see the benefit of, you know, having the, the idea of just going in with, you know, just talking about a special memory, you know, I, I, uh, mm-hmm. in, in one, see, for, for me, and, and I, and I think, you know, I, I know that that would be the way that I would approach it from this point forward, <laughs> you know, just, um, yeah. but there's also, there's also, I guess, um, there is, as my guess is, my initial thought would be a reluctance to share such a joyful moment making the absence seem even harder. Does that make sense? I understand what you're saying, and that has to do Mm -hmm. with uh, society's feeling about the negativity of death, that people don't want to deal with the fact that, that we're everybody's going to die someday, Not but okay. we all are, okay. you know, it, it's something we <laughs> all know is going to happen. <laughs> and uh-huh. if, if they could, uh, if the people that are, are thinking that way, thinking that they're, they're going to bring up, you know, the, if the person might cry, well, if the person cries, hug them, you know, well, well oh, when it's yeah. safe, <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. you know, it, it's okay to cry. Crying, and, and if you cry with the person who's grieving, that's okay too because that's a genuine uh, emotion. I know Jacques had been sick for so long. When he first got sick, we, we were both kind of prominent in the community where we lived, and I felt like everybody knew us. And when he first got sick, I, people would come visit him in the hospital, come visit him at home, call him on the phone, constantly bring him flowers doing all these things just constantly people wanted to to, to say things but then he, it was like he was sick for too long in the the newness of the being sick kind of wore off and the more of the realization is uh, we don't think he's going to get over this the people started staying away because of, mm. of i think uh they felt like they had sent their card or they they'd given their good wishes whatever it was and and they'd done their duty and then they went on with their lives and we we became more and more isolated which which is really a, kind of a sad thing because he, having people he was a very people person and having people around him meant the world to him so it's it's it seems to be kind of a I don't want to say normal because I'm not sure that's quite the 
word, but something that's that's done almost traditionally in our society is to um, not get too involved when it's something that is uncomfortable. Yeah. So yeah. I I mentioned about send, sending the cards to to Lori after Chap died. Of course, we didn't know there wasn't there wasn't a before for him because he was fine until he died. So nobody yeah. thought about it. But when you realize that that somebody is terminally ill or incapacitated for a long time, that's the time you stay in touch with them the whole time. And I don't mean you have to go over there every day, but do something throughout the illness to support both them and whoever it is that that is helping them and, and staying with them. That's really, really important. And people don't do that because they they wanted to see Jacques as the, the happy actor singer on stage right. or professor talking at the front of the classroom. That's how they wanted to see him. They didn't want to see him right. become debilitated as as things went on. And so, you yeah. know, it's one of those things that if I close my eyes I won't see it and so I don't have to deal with it. But yeah. It, yeah. I guarantee that it will help you on your way if you've been helping other people on their way. Um Ram Das, the I don't know if you know who that is, but he's uh, was yeah. a real spiritual leader, and he actually lived here on Maui. Wonderful man, and he wrote a book called Walking Each Other Home, and I just love the title of that because that's that's really what we're all doing, you know. We're we're <laughs> all ultimately on the same path to the same destination, and if we can support each other along that walk. However it is, whether it's in good times or in bad times, that's important to do. And now in the days of COVID where people are so isolated from loved ones when things are going on like that, it's more important than ever to be supporting each other. Oh, exactly. You know, and and we've had such a – it's been a rash of people. I mean, there's like no rhyme or reason, you know, type of thing that it affects anybody at any particular time. You know, the uncertainty factor um, and the swiftness, you know, is, is makes it mm-hmm. even sometimes tougher. But, but we're, we're um, a little past halfway through the show, um, Emily. I want to take just a quick break. And I do want to invite listeners, if you want to call in with any questions for Emily, you can call in at 619 Four three five nine, and those listening live in the chat room, if you have any comments or questions, feel free to type them in there. Um, and then when we come back, Emily, I want to um, spend a little bit of time talking about the importance of self-care when it, when it comes to this, um, okay. you know, living through grief. Okay. Okay, that's great. Thank you. Okay, great. Sounds good. Okay, everyone, stay tuned. We'll be right back after this brief break. Hello, this is Robert Sharp. I want to thank you for joining us and hope that you are enjoying today's show. Just a reminder that we have a wealth of information and resources available on our website, byteradio.me. There is a calendar of upcoming shows along with an archive link that will give you access to more than 1,400 shows we have had over the past nine years. Also on the site, is a link to the products and services we provide, books, photography, a wellness store, and self-publishing assistance. Our show is a free podcast on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, 
iHeartRadio and tune in. And you can subscribe for free on any of those platforms by using the links on our website homepage. We are on many social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, etc. And we also have buttons to those platforms at the top of our homepage. Our website, ByteRadio.me, has much for you to explore and enjoy. I also very much appreciate you supporting our guests, and especially today's guest. And now, back to the show. Okay, everyone, thank you for staying with us. Again, today, my special guest is Emily Thoreau-Charette, and we are talking about her, her new book, um, Loving and Living Your Way Through Grief, a comprehensive guide to reclaiming and cultivating joy and carrying on in the face of loss. Um, again, you can find out more about the book by going to the website, Loving and living your way through grief.com. Okay, with that, we're back, Emily. Hi, I'm glad to be here. Yeah, great, thanks. So um, let's, I want to spend some time because I think it's important and, and it's a topic that you, you know, spend a good deal of time in, in your book. And, and it's the idea of um, self love and self care. So, um, can you, would you mind sharing with the listeners um, um, how that um, um, kind of how the awareness and the importance of that came? And in particular, I think there was a time around Ron's death that you had a couple falls. Um, that was kind of what I was thinking. If you could talk about that, because I think you know that's a good example of manifestation of. Stuff <laughs> that we want to pay attention to. Yeah. Well, yes. With with uh, Ron's situation, he was he was home on hospice for only like five days. Um, he was home a week, but on hospice for five days of that. And I was extremely exhausted because I had been staying with him at the hospital for the week before he he came home. Um, that was the the longest time he had been hospitalized and he what he had was uh well he actually had a severe diarrhea to the point that he was going uh between 14 and 17 times a day and the nurses just couldn't get in fast enough so i was staying there to to help make sure to 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 keep him clean and and taken care of during that time so I was he lost 35 pounds that's how bad the diarrhea was in Mm. in five days so uh I know know that's not great to talk about I'm sure on the air but that was the situation (laughs) we were in and when when we came Uh yeah and the last day he was in the hospital a hospitalist came in and Ron said to him what are you going to do for me? And he said, well, we're, we're going to like do some more tests and see if we can figure out where this is coming from. And Ron said, that's not what I asked. <laughs> what, what are you going to do for me? And the doctor said, well, I don't really know what to do for you because you've just got diarrhea. Well, that wasn't his only problem. He also had renal failure. He also had congestive heart failure, but that, that wow. was his immediate problem right then. And, 
so he and the doctor said we've given you every medication that there is to give for diarrhea and none of them made any difference at all so we can't really help you there and so ron said so why are you going to keep me or why are you keeping me in the hospital and he said well um because we need to figure out what's wrong (laughs) and ron said you know what if there's nothing that you can do for me here in the hospital i want to go home and the mm-hmm. doctor said, well, that's your choice if you want to, but you're going to have to go home against medical advice if you do that because we, we won't release you. And Ron said, then right. I'm going home without medical advice. And what happened with that was the doctor refused to give him any of the medications that he was on in the hospital, which mm-hmm. was essentially torture to not let him have the medication that he needed at that point. And fortunately, I didn't want to be in the hospital. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So so a friend of ours who'd been coming to see him regularly and was very uh, aware of his situation also happened to be a hospice nurse. And so I called her and I said, what do I do? He doesn't want to go on hospice. He doesn't think he's dying. You know, we just... Mm-hmm. need to take care but I, I can't take care of him by myself at home I'm exhausted and she said I'll take care of it and by the time I got home she'd rented a hospital bed had it all set up and she had called the hospice doctor and said this guy really needs to have medications and he's not on hospice yet but could you come prescribe them for him so the doctor was there too right away and we were able to and it was wow. on late on a friday and we were concerned about getting a hold of any doctor who we could get medication from but she was there we got the medication everything was taken mm-hmm. care of but i was just exhausted and Ron liked to sit outside. That was his favorite thing to do. It's so beautiful outside here in in Hawaii. And we have a a lanai, which is a Hawaiian word for deck in our backyard. And so in the the middle of the night, that that night, he was sitting out on the deck. And she'd also arranged for somebody to be there 24-7 so that I didn't have to Mm be up taking care of him. And I was sitting out there with this person and with Ron, and Ron wanted something that was inside, so I went inside to get it. And when I came out, uh, he had had called to me that that he needed me, and so I I went just really fast and totally missed the step onto the one eye and went down so hard on my hip. And I thought, oh, my gosh, you know don't let me break my hip right now. You know, this is, this can't work. So, uh, the, the, what happened was our, our neighbor, uh, one of our Ohana, uh, he called her, it was like one o'clock in the morning or two o'clock in the morning and said, could you please come help Emily get up? <laughs> so yeah. she, she came right up and helped me get up, but I was so sore. Uh, my hip was sore. I, I it wasn't broken. It was really sore, and I had hurt my foot in the process, and my foot was swelling up, and I could—I didn't feel like it was broken, but it was swollen, and it, it hurt. And I thought, you know, I think maybe, I, and he was exasperated with me. <laughs> you know, why'd you do this at this point? <laughs> I, sorry. <laughs> really? But I thought, you know, it, it, to me, what came to me immediately was I have to slow down. I didn't have yeah. to be running to him because he called. I could have gotten there just about the same time if I wouldn't have been in such a hurry. But I did that because I was so exhausted. And I said, I I have to start taking care of myself. 
and and I so I I did start paying more attention to it, but I still was was kind of I felt uh, kind of zombieish, you know, like I was there mm-hmm. but I wasn't mm-hmm. right because I was just so tired and and emotional with this whole thing and. It, that, that last week was absolutely fabulous because we had friends come over from the mainland. His daughter came over, all of our Ohana here, and it was like a party for the whole week. We had music yeah. and barbecues and all these things. And he was just thrilled. And mm-hmm. when everything was actually over, uh, we had decided that he would have two different services. One would be an ash scattering here in Maui, and the other one would be at uh, Agape International Spiritual Center in Culver City at that time because uh, Michael Beckwith was a friend of his, and he wanted him to do the service for all of his uh, people that, that he knew in, over there. So when we, I went to go to uh, L.A. For, for that service, I was at the airport, and they were doing uh, construction things on, on the floor in the airport, putting in a new floor. And there was a, a spot where the floor changed levels, but you couldn't really see that that was happening, and they didn't have it marked in any way. And I just jammed my foot into the change, very much like the step that I'd done, and went down on the other hip <laughs> so hard. And they weren't going to let me get on the plane because they were afraid I was injured. And I said, you're not going to not let me on the plane to go to my husband's funeral. (laughs) So they finally did. And I spent the whole time that I was in LA in my hotel room in bed, except for when I was actually at the service and and the little thing that they did afterwards. Um, But it just really made me, especially the second fall, I thought there's a reason that I fell again. And that is to, to make me, slow down, to take a breath, to just deal with me at this point, not to worry about anything else. You know, the world's going on, life is going on, and I have to take care of me. I have to spend more time meditating and being still and paying attention and writing in my journal and um, taking a a nice bath with some Epsom salts for (laughs) all that was aching in my body. And the the more I did that, the better I felt. And if I would start to get a little blue or start to get a little anxious, I would say, okay, that means it's time for me to take care of me because there's nobody else sitting here that's going to take care of me for me. I have to do it. Right. And so I, I started really taking good care of myself, just doing what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it. And it it helped me. A lot, and and I just I really am an advocate for self care because so many times we get so busy taking care of everybody else and everybody else's feelings that we don't slow down and pay attention to us and what we need personally at that moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I um, it, it's one of those um, areas. I had uh, one one person, uh, woman who was a. Uh, naturopath in Costa Rica. Um, she contributed a story. Um, to, I, I wrote a book about, it's called um, The Heart and Soul of Caring, you know, and it's about caregivers and, and uh, the, you know, the persons who receive the care. And and um, and her husband was wheelchair-bound, and she was one of those, I mean, she, again, naturopathic, so she paid attention to health and, you know, and, and mm-hmm. did... So so many things um, 
what what we would think is right in, in the sense of you know making sure she had alone time. Um, um, in any way, uh, her biggest fear was that um, you know that she would go and and Odin uh, would would still you know she wouldn't be around to help Odin. So oh, that was yeah. why she you know paid off the debt. But um, from the time that she wrote the story to the time I published the book, she passed. And he, he, I mean, it was like, wow. uh, it just broke my heart, you know, because, uh, you know, and, and it was at that point that I just, um, like whenever the opportunity arises where I can, you know, talk to people directly about how important it really is, you know, to take care of yourself and, and not look at it as selfish or, or, you know, feel guilty for that, so that it's just a, it's a very important you know, if, if you want to be around to be able to help those, you know, at a later date or a later time, that's what you have to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's just critical, and and we we tend to think that uh, somehow it's bad or wrong to focus on ourselves, <laughs> mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it's critical because it, it's like that that yeah. thing in the the airplane when you're traveling that they say put the oxygen mask on you first if if you're not functioning you're no good to anybody else either so yeah. you really have to to take good care of yourself and nurture yourself whatever it is i i did things like been involved in theater my whole life and i've di- designed lots of sets and costumes and all that sort of thing so i'm kind of creative that way but i never felt like i could draw and uh-huh. i thought you know what i'm going to take a drawing class and I did, and I just love it. I, there's something about getting lost in in drawing and creating that it just it kind of soothes my whole being, everything about it. And a, a friend of mine, one of the people that I've been uh, that I started out with, she was coming to my uh, writing through grief class here on the island was just starting to paint after her husband died to do uh, watercolors or acrylics or whatever. And so we decided to start getting together every once in a while to do that. And I found that I liked painting too. And there's something so freeing and relaxing about doing something. It doesn't matter. I used to think when I, if I created something, I had to have a purpose for it. You know, it was going to be a gift for somebody or I was going to sell a gallery Mm -hmm. or whatever it was that, that I was doing with it. And for the first time in my life, I've been able to just draw or paint for the sake of drawing or painting because it's fun and because I can, it's so relaxing, so meditative to me that I just, I love it. And it's a really special form of, of self-care for me. So find well, something, whatever yeah. it is. I noticed um, when I was reading one of your um, activities was crocheting. Well, I have crocheted mm-hmm. for 30 years. <laughs> I've got a website, Crochet cool. Names. <laughs> yeah, you know, so right now I've just been doing baby blankets. But, um, but it, you know, there is, you know, each time we talk to, we were talking about the activity, you know, the ultimate um, experience was the um, – just the, the the sense of like losing time, just kind of being in the meditative state that it, that it creates. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, things like like that, like the crocheting. I I think it's great to crochet. To to me, 
I learned it so quickly. My mom showed me how to do it, and it, it was so easy. And I was shocked because, you know, you look at things that are crocheted and think, oh, my goodness, you know, this, this has to be <laughs> uh-huh. so hard. And uh, yeah. it, it really wasn't. And it, I can just sit and crochet for hours and doing something like that. I also weave. Um, I also do ceramics and, oh, boy, sitting at that potter's wheel with just watching it spin around, that's that's like getting hypnotized almost. Um, it, it, it just it feels yeah. good. So whatever it is that makes you, if it, if it makes you feel good to cook, if it makes you feel good to walk on the beach, if it makes you feel good to pull weeds in the garden, whatever it is, find things to uh, allow yourself the, the freedom to just, breathe and uh, relax and enjoy. Exactly. Exactly. Now, um, one more topic I want to kind of touch on before we close. And in this past year, as we mentioned, you know, the the COVID-19 has just really wreaked havoc with people and in grief is in abundance. Um, So Mm -hmm. um, can you Maybe do you have some thoughts about, you know, grief, like specific to, like, you know, one of the biggest challenges, and I've, I've lost somebody during this period, that is is the inability to, to be there or to, you know, like you talked about when, when your husband in the past being, you know, at there at the point of transition um, and how... Mm-hmm special that is and and then in this particular time so many people were were denied that opportunity so what can you say to people that maybe are feeling i don't know feeling not right or out of balance or you know that it, it, it well, doesn't um <clears throat> yeah you know what i'm talking okay let let me approach that from two different angles the first one okay. and it's critically important is to forgive yourself because people carry so much guilt about I should have been there. I should have done this. I should have done that. Or if if we wouldn't have, if if we would have worn a mask when they told us to, we wouldn't be in this situation. And and it's my fault because I didn't wear a mask. There's all kinds of things that uh, not being, the big thing is not being able to be with the person. And right acknowledge that you did the very best that you could under these incredible circumstances and that if circumstances would have been different, you could have done something different, but they weren't. And holding guilt about that doesn't serve you and never will. And so you need to really go deep with that and think about it and forgive yourself. I, I do that that sort of work by writing it all down. You know, it, it's, say all the things that you you regret or you didn't want to uh, have happened or you wished would have been different. Just writing them down. The longer, the more you write it, the more you'll get tired of writing it, and you'll finally be able to get to the point of releasing it. So, the forgiveness is just gigantic there. And the other thing is to do something yourself. To, to help yourself. My sister didn't die of COVID, but she, she died in November. Uh, she could possibly have had COVID. I don't know. But uh, yeah. she just died. And 
she's on the mainland and I'm in Hawaii and she's in the Bay Area and at that time it was really bad in the Bay Area and I know some people were, were traveling at that time and I thought it just doesn't make any sense for me to travel to get over there and be with her and the family and we did a, right. a memorial service on Zoom and so we had something but I just I felt like I needed to do something for me and when, when yeah. Ron died we had an ash scattering service here and everybody that showed up brought flowers from their yard, not not big floral things from the, the florist, yeah. but uh, bags yeah. full of flowers from the yard. And we went out on the canoes out in the water to go out and throw the ashes. We took all these flowers with us, and we, we threw all the flowers along with the ashes. So I asked a friend of mine if, if he would take me to the beach and we we went really early in the morning so there wouldn't be a lot of people around and went to a a absolutely gorgeous place and I picked a variety of all the different kinds of flowers I had in my garden and took them with me and I just went uh, he, he let me be alone to do this I just went up to the water and through the flowers in the water and had my, my own private memorial for my sister. Mm-hmm. And it helped so much. It felt really good to be able to to do something. And I, I took pictures of it so I can look at those and remember how uh, how beautiful it was. The water was so clear. In fact, I was trying to take pictures of the, the flowers floating on the water and it looked like they were laying on the sand underneath. So I, I finally <laughs> found some places where there were bubbles from the waves that I could get those in the picture too so that you could see that uh, I was actually putting them in the water. Is with, with, without the tourists here, the water has just become incredibly clear. It's so beautiful. How wonderful. And I wonderful. had this experience while I was there that this – I. My friend was kind of standing by me, and he tapped me on the shoulder and pointed down, and I looked down, and there was a butterfly sitting on my toe. Uh, and it just kind of blew me away. Um, I took a picture of it so I could always remember it, because how, how often do butterflies land on people? But they yeah. used to always land on Ron when he'd sit out on a lanai. And so it, I don't know whether... It was her or Ron or a combination of them. Mm-hmm. It was just something yeah. that really comforted me. So yeah, you, I remember that part special the, to, to the, remember the, the person part in, and, yeah, and focus the on part that. The, book, the part in the book about Ron saying that if certain things came around, you know, that that was going to be him. And, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm sure people do this. Well, Emily, our, 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 we ran out of time. <laughs> so, um, but um, yeah. before I go, I just want to let listeners know that, um, you know, on your website, um, lovingandlivingyourwaythroughgrief.com, um, you have a couple really neat article, uh, uh, blog posts. Uh, one of them, new today, <laughs> Doodling your, your Grief, which I thought was a, a, uh-huh. a great read. And then, and then um, also the one that you did um, at the end of March, Will It Ever End, talking about the shootings and that kind of thing. So those were, um, I enjoyed reading those. Um, but um, I want to oh, thank, thank you for your time today. Oh, thank you for inviting me. I I love to do whatever I can to to bring some positivity and lightness into this process of grief. Right. Thank you. Yes, and, and also um, people want to read you. You're talking about grief being healthy. So 
that's a little teaser for people mm-hmm. to, to go out and get the book and, and see exactly how that can be. Okay. Well, thank you again, Emily. Thank you. Okay, everyone. Again today, my very special guest has been Emily Thoreau Threat, and we've been talking about her book, Loving and Living Your Way Through Grief, a comprehensive guide to reclaiming and cultivating joy and carrying on in the face of loss. And again, you can find out more by visiting the website, lovingandlivingyourwaythroughgrief.com. So everyone, I want to thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. And until we meet again, thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Remember, our show is available as a free podcast from Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. To follow our show, visit our homepage at byteradio.me and select the platform you use most. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ByteRadioMe. Until we meet again, remember to be a bright light by bringing inspiration to your world and to the lives of those you touch.